When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to another episode of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Williams. In this episode, I'm showcasing the career path of former teacher Jessica Wollington, a teacher who successfully transitioned to the role of a software engineer. Listen in as we have some honest conversations about our experiences with imposter syndrome, burnout, and work-life balance in this new career. Don't forget to stay tuned until the end of the interview to learn her suggestions of other careers in her industry that are also good fits for teachers. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to hear your story and be able to share it with all of my audience. I want to ask you first to tell me a little bit about your journey in education and your role as a teacher. Yeah, for sure. So um, I did the whole shebang. I did my undergrad in education. I double majored in special education and childhood education got certified right off the bat, and then actually moved to London to get my master's in education. So it was like all I thought I was going to do for the rest of eternity. After I finished my master's, I moved back to New York and found a job as a third grade teacher in Brooklyn um, and worked there for a year. And this is after having worked in schools in London and also in New York as I was doing my student teaching. So I had an experience in the classroom ranging from the West Village where the kids were wearing coats that cost more than two months of my rent to, um, you know, inner city schools in London where, um, you know, it, it was it was really rough. So uh, once I got back, I spent a year in a third grade classroom and that was that was the end of it for me. To say the least. So that, that last classroom and your experience that last year was really what ultimately um, made you decide that you wanted to leave teaching altogether? Exactly. Yeah, you know, it was it was a combination of, of my experiences across the years, you know, in, in a variety of schools, in a variety of districts, and honestly, literally in various countries, the, the challenges were always the same. And it was very rarely the children, actually, it was never the children that were the problem. It was everything around it, you know, the administration, the lack of support, the, um, the zero work-life balance ever. <laughs> um, you know, I'd be up on Sunday morning thinking about my kids who weren't going to eat until tomorrow. Uh, I'd have to, you know, spend all weekend grading or talking to parents or just there was, when I wasn't at work, I was thinking about work or working or anything. Um, so that, that was a huge challenge for me. 
the lack of support from administration was ongoing. Um, and that was really a deal breaker for me. Yeah, and that's something that I always tell my audience is one of the first steps is I, I ask you to kind of think, would changing grade levels, schools, or districts help me fall back in love with this career again? For me personally, I switched to districts and it reinforced that it wasn't a good fit for me. And it sounds like you, you know, went kind of all over the board and you realized just something about this position wasn't really working for you. So I kind of want to try into what job do you do now? Yeah, I did a true 180. Um, I'm a software engineer now. Um, oh, wow. So, so I, I write code all day, um, which is a, a huge change to say the least. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like when it comes to technology savvy careers, especially, you know, software engineers probably at the top, a lot of teachers talk themselves out of feeling like they're even smart enough for the roles, which is insane because we go right. through like, <laughs> part of both of education, but we have just such low career self-esteem mm-hmm. that you know, shooting for something that large is really scary. So I was curious if you could ask me, how did you decide on that specific career direction? Yeah, that's a great question. So for context, I never identified as a math or science or numbers person in general. I was always a language person, English, you know, foreign languages, what have you. Um, And uh, (laughs) I don't think I I, I I passed my high school geometry class. Like that that is how non-math or sciencey I was. Um, but when it came down to, to leaving teaching, which I just spent six years of my education, um, thousands of dollars in education to do, uh, I was so desperate to get out, I was considering anything. So all options were open, nothing was off the table. Um, my one requirement really was I didn't want to have to go back to school for another year or two or whatever it was. So um, I started looking into options for new careers that A, I could change into rapidly or at least within a shorter time frame than going back to traditional school. Um, B, that would pay me more. Um, and, and C, that would allow me to have the flexibility within various industries. So I didn't want to be pigeonholed only into education. Um, so. That research led me to speaking to anyone and everyone under the sun who I knew in any capacity, like reaching out to acquaintances from high school from 15 years ago, like that level of <laughs> outreach. Um, and, and one person I knew had done a software engineering boot camp, uh, which are intensive three month long coding boot camps, literally six days a week, 12 hours a day that take you uh, from basic knowledge of JavaScript to being able to get a job. Um, and my mom actually was a software engineer in like the 80s and <laughs> had been telling me since I was 15 that um, I would really enjoy this and I should give it a go. And every day I was like, no, mom, you don't know me. Like, <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. Uh, of course, my mother ultimately was right, uh, and I ended up loving it. But to make that jump, uh, I quit teaching in the summer, spent a month over the summer still getting paid, thank God, from the DOE, um, learning to code. So I was learning how to write JavaScript from online programs and the like. 
uh, applied to one of these boot camps that started in the fall, did the program <laughs> for those three months, and the hardest three months of my entire life, uh, but three months nonetheless. Uh, and after those three months, um, they actually hired me on to help teach the program as a TA, so teaching experience coming in handy. Um, and by the time I finished those couple of months as a TA, I was employed full-time as a software engineer. So it worked out better than I could ever imagine it could. Um, but moral of the story is you, you don't need to have those skills that you think you need to have. You just do it. You learn it. You, you figure it out. Um, and I'm so glad I, I made that jump. Oh, yeah. I, after I left, I'm, I've i pushed myself to do things I never thought would have been yeah. about. <laughs> you know, exactly. What doing things that scare you, what you're able to achieve if you just keep pushing in that direction. I kind of wanted to go back to what you said about how that three months was the toughest. Um, yeah. Are you just the amount of work that they were asking you to do or was it a mental oh, man, yeah. barrier for you as well just kind of it, it was everything um so I, I had an enormous amount of imposter syndrome you know I I was a third grade teacher in this room full of brilliant people some of whom had computer science degrees already um some of whom had been you know the quintessential I've been coding in my mom's basement since I was seven um javascript was my first language kind of people um so I, I just felt so out of my element, out of my depth, you know, just trying to understand what the heck was going on. So that was a huge portion of why it was so difficult. Um, not, not to say that there weren't other people like me in that program. There were musicians and artists and other people who came from really non-technical backgrounds. So I wasn't alone in that, but um, definitely it was a challenge. Uh, the, the actual content itself <laughs> is hard. You know, you're learning how to code from from a very limited background. Oh, I, I watched a couple of coding videos on like Khan Academy and yeah. I myself, you know, the the minimum required. So kudos to you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But um yeah, so just the content is it can be really overwhelming. The pace of the course I did uh it is is lightning speed. So you're you're constantly absorbing information. They, they use the analogy of drinking from a fire hose. So you're just overwhelmed with new information every single day. And if you can't keep up, then you, then you kind of fall behind. Um, and that, that's the idea of this boot camp model is you have to, to stay with the pace of, of everyone around you and, and understand it all. And you're getting help along the way, but it's, it's uh, not super forgiving. <laughs> So, and the pressure and the desire to, to leave teaching really pushed me through all that. Um, but it, it sure wasn't easy. And it's really long hours. You're six hours or six days a week, likely from 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. most days. Um, so that it, it is your full life to make that transition. But that's the no, price you pay for doing it in three months. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate your honesty and transparency about that process as well, because I know a lot of people who are thinking of changing into something like this might hear about these boot camps and they should know that they they might be putting themselves through something that's really grueling and challenging, especially if it's condensed into such a short time frame. Do you feel right. like the work-life balance of teaching kind of set you up to succeed in Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the, the flip side of things is these people who are coming in from, you know, more 
nine to five office life jobs were so overwhelmed. But for me, I was like, you know, this is hard, but I take a day of this over, you know, parent-teacher conferences or, you know, even a day in the classroom, any day, just the, I, I had the autonomy. I could go to the bathroom when I wanted to. I, <laughs> I could, uh, you know, step out when I needed to. There was just, it, it was so challenging, but the challenge compared to a day in the classroom for me was a swap I'd make any day. And I think definitely equipped me to handle that stress and the pressures way better than I think I would have otherwise. Teachers are definitely resilient. <laughs> <laughs>
a, a less stressful day today and remove my summers that have like a stress packed eight or nine months and then like a kind of stress-free couple of months but with the anxiety of knowing that it's all coming for you in the fall um, and that being said you know the, the difference is i can now take a vacation when i want to take a vacation i don't have to be dependent on you know the education holidays or um you know the, the prescribed days off that you have in your teaching which again is great like i i love that teachers deserve to have that time off and and if not more but the downside is you don't have the autonomy to decide when you want to take a vacation you are uh you know adhering to the most expensive vacation times because everyone has those times off to take with their kids uh, not that anyone can take a vacation in the real world, real term right now. Um, but uh, yeah, so no, short answer, no, I do not miss having a summer. I mean, it'd be great, but I also have the option to take my summer as I will with my vacation days, so. Yeah, I one thing that I tell people to always think when they're considering that question is, it's gonna be different for everybody. So it sounds like you and I were coming from the same place where we were, you know, so burnt out we were absolutely mm -hmm. miserable and our weekdays, our weekends during the school year were so terrible that it didn't really make up for it for having, you know, this month mm -hmm. and a half vacation space that we were willing to sacrifice that to be happy year round. Where if you're coming into this and you're listening and you're actually, you know, you're really pretty satisfied in your career and you're liking teaching, but maybe you want to make a little bit more money or um, maybe you're just kind of looking at what else is out there, but the summers are huge for you and your families, then maybe it's not the right move for you. There's going to always be pros and cons for every single person with every huge decision like this. So this isn't going to be a one size fits all answer, but it sounds like you and I are kind of coming from the exact same situation where I will, I will never have a summer again. As well as my body and my mental health feels the way that it does right now. Yeah, exactly. I'm on the same page. And 100% where I've had positions where I had, you know, flexible paid time off that as long as there wasn't anything huge coming up, you could take two weeks paid time off whenever you wanted. Where with teaching, you know, I remember feeling guilted that I wasn't allowed to even take a sick day, even if I was sick, you know? Yes. Not, that's not really just sub plans, but it's administration kind of talking to me like I didn't have the right to take a sick day and I should have continued to come. Exactly. And that would be such a burden to them. And yeah. the, the shift of culture from where I was at to where I am now has been huge, but that's not going to be everybody's situation or a universal answer. So yeah. people coming from from different places or having happier experiences, but it's not always the case. Uh, I wanted to come into what would be the first thing that you would advise a teacher to do if they were also interested in becoming a software engineer? Um, just talking to anyone in the field um, who is a software engineer currently. Um, doesn't even have to be someone who made a transition from another career, just talking to people and seeing if it's a career that you're interested in because it does have its own challenges. You know, it's not like this perfect world where everything is uh, is hunky dory all the time. But it, for me personally, it was the right fit, and I don't think I would have 
made the jump if I hadn't spoken to people who were in the industry um, to confirm that it was a good fit for me. So that's definitely the first thing I would do. Yeah, networking is huge. And I feel like people put so much pressure on themselves where networking sounds like it's such a scary process. Um, I know you reached out to a couple of people, just acquaintances that you have that happen to be in this industry to feel them out. But other than that, people can go to, you know, Facebook groups and just mm -hmm. <laughs> that still counts as networking, you know, going into these Facebook groups created just for the specific industry. Yes, exactly. I even went so far as to like reach out to people on LinkedIn, like cold reach out, like, hey, I see you're a software engineer at this company. Uh, I'm curious about what you do. Do you have time for a 10 minute chat? And weirdly enough, that sometimes actually was successful. I've met some of the most helpful people on LinkedIn cold messaging. Like yeah. <laughs> so this specific path that you went into, you did have to go and it's a technical role. And some of the technical roles, you will need to learn those technical skills. I was curious if you've encountered other people who are former teachers or other roles within the industries that you work that would be a good fit for former teachers as well. You know, weirdly enough, a lot of the skills that I learned as a teacher are helping me advance in my career now, um, like in promotions or leadership opportunities, things that I think I would have been passed over for if I hadn't had those skills I learned as a teacher have become really, really clear to me even in the past year or so. So, you know, teaching skills are so important and so helpful and teachers do so much more than the rest of the world, I think, sees um, that can translate into careers that one would never necessarily think of as the first stop for a teacher after teaching, like software engineering, for example. Like There are so many things I do on a day-to-day -day basis that are teaching skills, like organizing. Uh, even the code writing itself, your problem solving, and that is what teachers do 12,000 times a second in the classroom is problem solve. So, you know, that being said, I work with people who are former teachers who are software engineers, many of them actually. It's a staggering number considering a lot of math teachers end up being software engineers that I've seen. Product, a lot of people go into product because I think being a product manager or, you know, project manager, that is a lot of teaching skills in that, organizing communication, planning, timelines, all of that, just, you know, having to communicate complicated ideas to people who might not understand what the heck you're talking about. Like all of that is literally what you do as a teacher. And those careers like product, project management, whatever it is, you, you find those roles at literally every single company. So Absolutely. that's a huge one. Have you found yourself still excited about education in the way that you're overly helpful in your role and maybe you want to help other people learn software engineering or walk through new hires on the onboarding process. <laughs> yeah, I find myself involved in mentorship very frequently. Um, I, I love mentoring. I love you know even speaking to people thinking about a career change. I, I find myself you know, facilitating meetings, explaining things to new hires. And I even, you know, used to run JavaScript 101 workshops, things like that. Like the, the love of teaching is still there. Um, that, that never went away for me. Um, just kind of manifested itself in a different way. <laughs> that same thing happened for me where I still yeah. want to keep 
creating things to help other people and chunking, you know, hard to understand information into smaller bite-sized pieces. So I'm happy to hear that that you're in the same boat as me. For sure. Um, Really quick, how long have you been a software engineer? Somehow I missed that. Yeah. uh, Oh, great question. Three years? Three and a half years? And you can tell that this is your lifelong career. Yeah. You know, I think there's always, I, I don't see myself writing code forever. I see myself going more into managerial track for technical things like engineering manager or maybe CTO one day, we'll see. Um, (laughs) I think I'll stay in in tech in some respect forever, yeah. That's also a great point. You know, at the beginning you were talking about how you didn't know where to go. A lot of teachers find themselves kind of holed into this corner because teaching is supposed to be their forever career, but there's not a lot of upward trajectory in a career path that makes a lot of sense besides, you know, being a teacher, maybe working for your district and curriculum in some way or becoming an administrator. But once Mm -hmm. you pivot into a role where you find a good fit, you can continue to grow. You can continue to shift and I think that's the exciting thing that some people were missing in their careers. They felt mm-hmm. stagnant where they weren't able to constantly be growing and shifting and adapting into new positions. I completely agree. And honestly that was one of the most fun things about this new career for me was hey, I get to negotiate my salary. Are you serious? It's not just preordained every year incrementing by whatever it is. Like I get to actually ask for what I want and what I know I'm worth. That was a game changer. That was very exciting. <laughs> Um, and, and the growth, you know, like even in, in three and a half years, I have, I've gone from junior software engineer to now I, I lead a team, which is really cool. Um, and again, to your point, like there, there's a, a lot more room for opportunity to go in different directions or to pivot or to be like, you know what, I want to go this way a little bit more this year or what have you. Going back to that salary negotiation, that was a huge game changer for me is I was able to negotiate my salary for the first time. And that's something that I actually teach the members of the teacher career coach course to do as well. It's not 100% awesome. of the time that it's negotiable. Sometimes you go in and they have an offer and that's the offer, but a lot of times it's worth asking. And I've, I've personally been able to talk up $10,000 more on a salary and I've had course members who have been negotiating their salaries successfully who said that they never would have even known how to do it or to do it. And it's just something, you know, teaching salaries are just on this pay scale and we're not comfortable or used to being able to negotiate a salary. So it, there's a strategy behind it. You can't be too greedy. <laughs> but Absolutely. Yes. And, and again, like, you know, there's, there's a certain anxiety that comes with it. It's like, oh God, are they going to take it away from me? But 99.9% of the time, they don't take it away. And the worst thing you can do is ask for more. And usually you get something. <laughs> and there's a lot you can negotiate too that's not just salary. And what you can negotiate, you know, an education stipend or, you know, extra money for traveling to conferences or, you know, there, there's so much wiggle room when it comes to, to things you could ask for, which is, again, not something you, you can do in teaching because it's all so... Um, prescription, which is so unfair because teachers do more work than everyone else in the world. 
<laughs> I mean, all of this varies on what companies you work for, what industry you're working in. It's not going to be every single company is able to do that, but there are definitely mm-hmm. companies out there. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Jessica, I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. It was so great that you shared your story. And I know a lot of teachers are going to be really excited to, to learn from this podcast episode. So I just wanted to thank you. Of course. And thank you so much for having me. Jessica is a prime example of how equipped teachers are to conquer almost any position that they put their mind to. Imposter syndrome is something that many of us face, but identifying when we're suffering from it actually helps us to push past our insecurities. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, please make sure you subscribe to stay tuned and leave a review to help other teachers find this support and community. I'll see you on the next episode of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. Thank you.